The word of our Lord from the Gospel of John. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is also called the Sea of Tiberias. Then a great multitude followed him, because they saw his signs which he performed on those who were diseased. And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was near. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may have even just a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but where are they among so many? So Jesus said, Make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, in number about five thousand. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples, and the disciples to those who were sitting down, and likewise of the fish, as much as they wanted. So when they were filled, he said to his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, so that nothing is lost. Therefore they gathered them up, and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen this sign that, that Jesus did, said, This is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. Now when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into the boat, and went over the sea toward Capernaum. And it was already dark, and Jesus had not come to them. Then the sea arose because of a great wind that was blowing. And so when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus on the sea, walking, drawing near the boat. And they were afraid. But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. Then they willingly received him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. On the following day, when the people who were standing on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other boat there except that one which his disciples had entered, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but his disciples had gone away alone, however, other boats came from Tiberias near the place where they ate bread after the Lord had given thanks. When, they, when the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they also got into boats and came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. Then they said to him, What shall we do that we may do the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. Father, we pray that you would bless the reading of your word. 
to our hearts, to our minds, and we pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you have for us through your word this morning. And Lord, may we trust you with all of who we are, even in the most difficult of circumstances, even in the craziest of ways, we pray that you would help us to trust you. In the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. <clears throat> so much is happening in this chapter of John's gospel. The pace has been picking up and suddenly we're confronted with an undeniably public and publicly undeniable miracle. We call it the feeding of the 5,000, although 5,000 is a bit misleading as a number. The text tells us plainly that there were 5,000 men, not to mention how many women and children there were present. So we might very well call this the feeding of the fifteen to 20,000, really. There's no telling how big this crowd might have actually been. But certainly 5,000 was just the base of the crowd, or just the, the core group of the crowd, so to speak. Jesus poses a question. Where are we going to get enough food? He's with his disciples. He sees the crowd coming. And you can imagine what it must have looked like for he and his disciples to be on the mountain together and to see several thousand, easily 10,000 people approaching them. And then Jesus asks that crazy question. Where are we going to get enough groceries to feed these folks? But this was a test. John tells us, for Jesus knew what he was going to do, which is very interesting because John tells us Jesus had in mind what he was going to do before that little boy is found. I wonder if that little boy was a part of the original plan or if Jesus customizes his plan because of the little boy. You know, there are some things that the scriptures just don't tell us about, just don't explain for us. But that's a curious question for me. How interesting. Jesus points out the craziness of the situation. He and these 12 men, this motley crew of guys, of Galileans, are being surrounded by this multitude, this throng of people. And Jesus points out, we don't have enough food to feed these people if they start getting hungry. And so Philip answers in like kind. He answers with as much craziness as Jesus points out the situation is. That much food would cost eight months of wages. And even still, if we had eight months worth of the average Galilean income, 200 denarii, if we had eight months of wages, that'd only be enough for these folks to have hors d'oeuvres. Just a sampling. Just a, an amuse-bouge bill, if you will. So just enough to, 
tickle the tongue, enough to amuse the palate. Certainly not enough to send them home full. Certainly not enough for them to have to expand their belts a little bit and say, my, that was quite satisfying. And then Andrew chimes in. And it's, it's kind of, his comment is kind of compounding the absurdity of this situation. There's this one kid with some lunch, but it ain't much. Specifically, it's five loaves and two fish. That's right, kids. Fish, not fishes. Five loaves and two fish. I remember being a kid and having a little coloring pages on the back of a bulletin like the kids have now. And you'd see these big old fish and some big old loaves, maybe some Italian bread or French bread. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about a kid with a little packed lunch for the day. I remember deep sea fishing as a, as a kid, Tom. And I remember uh, we, we went every once in a while with my, with my dad's company. And I think once I went, it was just us guys. And you know, I'm this little kid and my dad and a bunch of guys that my dad works with. Big strong men and they're reeling in all sorts of stuff. We, we reeled in a, a shark and all sorts of crazy stuff. But I remember one time that we were out, we brought in... We, we got out into a, a, a school of redfish, giant redfish. I think they're called red drums. 28 inches long and more. Big fish. And I remember we hauled in. I didn't haul in. I was just there for the fun. I had to haul in some little things, get a you know, got to help me out, bring, help me bring in something. But... We brought in 14 of these enormous redfish. For me as a little kid, that was a big fish. It was huge. I'd never seen anything like it. Certainly not alive. But that's not what we're talking about here. You know, what's common, a common fish in the Sea of Galilee where the disciples were, where Jesus was, is tilapia. You know, pretty common fish these days. Really nice fish. Not very fishy tasting. But tilapia is not what we're talking about here. Even though tilapia is a significantly smaller fish than a big old red drum. These weren't those. These two fish are basically the size of sardines. Tiny, tiny little fish something that we might consider bait for a bigger fish and this kid's got two of these little bitty fish two of them and those five loaves they're not loaves of French bread or Italian bread. These aren't baguettes, anything really hearty, you know, and big. They were hearty, all right, but they were tiny little barley biscuits. Again, 
Think of a little boy and his little lunch pail. He's got these two little fish and five little bitty biscuit-sized loaves of barley bread. They were hardly what we might sometimes imagine when we think of five loaves and two fish. And what does Jesus do? He says, tell the men to have a seat. It's meal time. Then something amazing happens. He takes that little lunch bucket into his hands and he gives thanks. (coughs) There are times in our lives where we've got this tiny little bucket of not very much in our hands. And is our response to give thanks for what we have? Thank you, Lord, for what you've provided. It may seem measly. It may seem paltry. It may seem absurd to give thanks for this. But I thank you. Jesus gives thanks for this measly, paltry offering. And he begins passing out food to his disciples and having them pass out food to all the multitudes, thousands of people spread out over this grassy plain. And he just keeps passing. And they keep passing. And somehow, some way, the food just keeps coming. And there's so much that everyone keeps on eating and everyone eats until they're full and then Jesus does something that's even crazier. Now go collect all of the leftovers because we're not going to waste any of this. Let nothing be lost. And the text tells us that they collected 12 baskets full. 12 baskets full. I wonder what Jesus then did with that used food. Does he maybe, you know, send a, maybe, there are 12 baskets, each of the disciples. Maybe he sends, sends them with the disciples. We don't know. But what we do know, sorry folks, that's supposed to be up there. But what we do know is that Jesus' ability to meet the need at hand is simply miraculous. Just in case we might miss the obvious, let me underscore it. Everything about this sign is meant to tell you how impossible the situation was. Thousands of people who are going to need a meal. Hardly anything to provide for that meal. 
there are so many people that it would cost us the equivalent of probably thirty to forty thousand dollars to feed them. That's in our terms and what we would typically be accustomed to spending to provide food in their day. And this little boy with a lunch bucket. And John would have us to know that Jesus can provide. There is no challenge too big when it is brought before him. There are no resources too small when they are entrusted to him. Because Jesus can provide. He takes the impossible and turns it into the miraculous. He takes our impossibilities, our dead ends, our no ways forward, and He makes a way. He finds a way. He meets needs. And so what impossibility do you need to bring to Him in trust? Be honest. There are some. You've got some impossibilities in your life and I have some impossibilities in my life that we need to trust Jesus with. You know, we often, we often look down upon those who come to God when they're scrambling. You know, because you've been there. We've all been there. You know, we, perhaps we forget about God. We forget about His faithfulness. We forget about how good He's been to us. And we're kind of just moving along through life, doing our thing. Chris Weldon would say we're bebopping through life. We're just doing our thing. Living life, we think we've got it figured out. We're kind of in a good rhythm, a good routine. And then suddenly a need arises and we think, okay, well, I can, I, can, I can handle that. And we try to handle it and we realize suddenly that we can't handle it, that it's out of our control, that it's too big for us, that it, it seems impossible. And that's when we then turn to God. And we can dismiss that and put that down. And yes, we probably ought to have trusted Him prior to that but the good news is that when we turn to God he is big enough when we entrust our impossibilities to Jesus he is able to meet those needs the question that you have to answer is simple will I trust Jesus with my impossibilities All it takes is a small, willing boy with hardly anything and a few perplexed disciples who are just crazy enough to do whatever Jesus tells them to do. I love that John includes that aspect of the story. You know, the feeding of the 5,000, I believe it's the only miracle 
that appears in all four of the New Testament Gospels. That ought to highlight it for us in our minds. But John tells us that Jesus used his disciples. He makes it a point to, to, to mention that. He tells the disciples, have the people sit down. He passes out the food to the disciples and they begin passing it out to the people. There's work that God entrusts us to do. But the story goes on. It doesn't just end there at verse 14. In fact, the whole story fills up the entirety of chapter 6. Not ending till the end of verse 71. But tucked right into this story. The story of this very, very public sign. Is the account of a very, very private sign. Something to which only those twelve disciples were privy. Jesus has gone back up onto the mountain. He had to get away. He realized this wonderful sign, this miraculous event was creating a bit of a mob. Holy moly, this is the prophet. Let's make him king. Let's get rid of Herod. Let's get rid of our oppressors from Rome and those that they've put their seal on and let's make him our king. He can meet our needs. He can do everything we need. Let's crown him. And so Jesus escapes. He gets away by himself and spends some time alone and the disciples realize it's evening time. We're supposed to get across the sea. We've got to get back over to Capernaum. I don't know what they were thinking. If Maybe they're thinking Jesus is... Perhaps already gone around. Maybe got on a boat we didn't see. But we know where we've got to get. So they start making their way across the sea and it's dark and the winds start blowing. And about three to four miles out into the midst of the sea, here comes Jesus walking on the sea. He catches up with his disciples. And rightly so, they are terrified. What in the world? Who is this? Who walks out onto the sea? That's impossible. There's only one who has mastery over the sea. There's only one who's brooded over the waters. And it's the one who created all that there is. Jesus says, It's okay. It's me. Climbs into the boat and they reach land. 
And so the next day, the people are filled with questions and intrigue. They had been paying attention. They saw that Jesus had slipped away. They saw that Jesus was not with his disciples. They saw that his disciples had gotten into a boat together and had crossed over the sea. And they knew that Jesus had not been with them. And they also noticed that Jesus had not gotten into any of the other boats, to their knowledge. And so they asked that question. Rabbi... When did you come here? How did you get here? And Jesus kind of deflects their question. He redirects their intrigue. And he tells them very simply, You seek me because you ate the bread. Interestingly, in verse 30, the crowds ask him, What sign will you show us? Our forefathers, they ate bread out in the wilderness. They were fed by Moses. Bread from heaven, that's not that big of a deal. What sign will you show us? And and I want to scratch my head and say, What? How thick is your skull? Weren't you just there yesterday? Weren't you there and saw the the miraculous happening? What do you mean, what sign are you going to show us? Oh, that's not that big of a deal. Moses did that. Didn't you see what Jesus did? Moses hadn't done that. The Hebrews had just woken up and there's bread. They don't know who brought it. In fact, the word manna literally is a question. What is it? They don't have the foggiest idea about that manna. They don't even know what it is. And they had seen Jesus doling out new creation. Passing it out. He had fed thousands of people with mere scraps. When you know, we are often so ungrateful ourselves. You know, everyone benefited from the miracle. Everyone that was there, all those thousands of people, all those 5,000 men, all those kids that were there, all the, the, the wives that were there, all of those people, they had benefited from the miracle. You know, but in such a big crowd, not everyone was up close to Jesus and his disciples. Not everyone was up close and able to see what was happening. Some people are just in the back of the crowd and they're just benefiting because food's getting passed back. Sure, word starts getting around. Now there's a Jesus is up there. And he's creating food on the spot. He's he's got a little lunch pail and it's not going empty. It's like the 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 handkerchief coming out of the magician's hat. Is, there, is it ever going to end? No, it's not going to end. It's just going to keep churning out. And eventually we're going to have 12 baskets full lying around. Again, not everyone is pressed up close to Jesus. I wonder... How close are we willing to get to Jesus? 
How close are we willing to get? Because if you get close enough, you'll hear Jesus telling the crowds, Your fathers didn't eat the bread from heaven. They ate manna. And you don't even know what it was. And they died. Out in the wilderness, they died. No, the true bread from heaven is Him who has come from heaven and gives life to the world. And then he tells them, I am that bread from heaven. I am the bread of life. And if you feast on me, you will live. You've got no life in you. And the, the food that you think fills you up only makes you empty in the end. But you'll have no life in you unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood. And many of His disciples were told, when they heard this, said, this is a hard saying. Who can understand it? This is crazy talk. What's He talking about? What does that mean? You know, sometimes we won't get all that close to Jesus because we can't get past our questioning. Questions are good. I love questions. But questions have to be honest, honest enough to actually be seeking answers. You know what they call someone who asks a question but doesn't want to do the work to find the answer? A kid. At some point in our lives, we've got to get to the point where our questions are, are not stumbling blocks, but our questions are seeking truth. And we're willing to follow them. We're willing to follow the text. We're willing to follow where Jesus is leading. Even though we've got questions, we know that he's able to answer those questions. He's able to answer. He may not answer all of them. But he's got sufficient answers. Answers sufficient for enough of them to keep pressing on. Not everyone is up close. Not everyone is aware of the extent of this miracle. But hang on. They can't be left off the hook that easily. For John tells us specifically at the very beginning of chapter 6. That the reason that the multitudes were out there. Finding Jesus was because they had seen the signs when Jesus had healed the diseased. So they knew better. They knew that Jesus was doing the miraculous. Their disbelief, their lack of faith was not in ignorance. They willingly chose not to follow any further. When we get to verse 66 of the chapter, we read one of the saddest statements in all of Scripture. 
From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. They had made it that far and said, that's enough. I can't go any further. I won't go any further. And so then Jesus said to the twelve, do you also want to go away? Jesus gives the disciples, the twelve, he gives them an out. He leaves the door unlocked and a little bit cracked for them. Do you also want to go away? But Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And also we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter gets it. Peter resonates with what Jesus said was the work of God. That you would believe, that you would trust that you would follow as a pastor. I'm telling you, honestly, verse 66 is what really hurts. When someone knows who Jesus is, has seen what he's done for them, and still chooses to walk away. How close are you willing to get to Jesus? Because another question that we must ask ourselves is, how far are you willing to follow him? Are you willing to follow him on into the impossible? Because if Jesus hasn't asked you to trust Him with the impossible, that begs the question, are you really listening to Jesus? Because Jesus' invitation to us is, come, bring me your impossibilities. Bring me those things you can't handle. Bring me all of yourself. Get close. Keep following. Believe. Trust me. Trust me even with your impossibilities. Will we trust Him? Let's pray.